Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Emerging Ease, where we will focus on unraveling the difficulties in the midst of our journey and move toward forward progress. This program is not meant to replace any form of therapy, and you are encouraged to seek out a mental health professional if necessary. Hello and welcome to Emerging Ease. I'm your host, Keisha, and you are tuned into the Bachelor News Radio Network. Please feel free to call uh, 646-929-0130 or send questions to the chat room at blogtalkradio.com forward slash LA dash bachelor. Um, you can also send questions, comments, or even topics you would like to have discussed to EmergingEase at gmail.com, as well as look for Emerging Ease on Facebook. We have a group. Okay, let's come on in and talk today. Today we're going to be discussing uh, generational trauma, okay? We're going to look at the definition of what that is specifically, how that can impact you, how it can be impacting your family, as well as uh possibly some ways to begin to address generational trauma. Um, with the area of generational trauma, we need to look at um, the focus of um, this is something that may be far-reaching for many, okay? And in discussing this, I encourage you, if you have any concerns or anything that comes up, please reach out to a um mental health provider in your area. Um, talk to someone about it. Don't just hold it in. Get 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 some help, okay? Get get help with it. Okay, with that being said, I want to go first into um, giving a definition. That's how I usually always start a topic, giving a definition. What is generational trauma? Because I want to make sure we are all on the same page when we discuss <clears throat> what this is. Some people may call it transgenerational. Some people may call it intergenerational, but basically it's all the same thing. It's trauma that is passed down. So one of the definitions that I found uh, that kind of basically explains it a lot easier um, to give more of a um, a, well, a better well-rounded view of it is um, once a person has been traumatized or a group of people, have been traumatized. The trauma may be passed down from generation to generation. This passing it down may be in self-perpetuating cycles that are hard to break. So we're going to talk about cycles. Uh, The generational trauma can uh, be transmitted by social learning in the family and the community, okay? So even if you're not with your biological family, if you're still in a community that has faced a certain type of trauma that even your family experienced, that could be very well passed down to you because you are in that community, okay? Um, and uh, growing evidence has shown that it can also be inherited uh, in the expression of genes uh, from conception in the genomic imprint. So that means trauma can uh, and has been identified as being imprinted on our DNA, okay? Now, the thing is, 
with something so far-reaching, it may seem almost impossible to, to identify, like, what do I do? It's, it's so embedded in, in me and my life and my interactions with other people. What do I need to do to, um, to challenge this, to do something uh, about this trauma that my family has experienced, that I have even experienced? How do I stop transmitting it down to my my own children, okay? Well, before we get into that, I want to look at um, some examples of uh, how it's passed down. So the, um, the idea is at the very top, let's say it's one person, let's say it's a, a, a whole generation in your family even. They face abuse, neglect, stress. Uh, lack of proper parenting, segregation uh, from their culture, anything like that. So, therefore, that traumatic experience or those traumatic experiences put together cause development of poor cognitive styles and coping strategies. Communication falls off, coping falls off, and now begins the cycle. So, therefore, these people or this person they experience more stress in situations that may be uh, not as not perceived the same or received the same um, by anyone else that has not had their prior experiences. Now we're talking about this is the first generation of folks, okay? Um, poor mental health, depression, negative self-talk, um, anxiety, panic attacks, all kinds of fear of people, fear of social situations. Um, Self-sabotaging behaviors um, or thoughts, self-sabotaging thoughts, because you have to have the thought before you have the behavior, uh, and more prone to experiencing stress. So even when something positive is coming along, as we talked about before, when new stress is happening, this person will receive it as, oh, my gosh, the other shoe is about to drop. And they're always either prepared to protect themselves or they're prepared to do something to avoid as much as possible the the stress that they assume is, is impending. This also contributes to a person's use of the fight, flight, or flee mechanism that is an automatic uh, protection that we all have. In a situation, either we're going to fight. So if you have um, family, a family, or a family member uh, that fights a lot when they, feel, when they become stressed out, when they feel like things are uh, not working toward uh, positive, when they feel like they're up against the wall, they're, they're physically fighting or verbally aggressive, that could be part of the passed down, uh, part of general, general, yeah, sorry, generational trauma. Um, the freeze for a person just shuts down. I'm, I'm just going to shut down. And then, therefore, they show that to their children, their nieces, their nephews, their grandchildren, everyone that they encounter in the in the neighborhood. And usually what we do as people, because we social learn so much and we don't realize it, is that when we see that something may seem to work for someone, we will adopt it in. Even if you look at when people move from different places, because I know it's happened to me, <laughs> you'll start to adopt the the vernacular and the words that people use and and the way they pronounce things 
is very much similar to our behaviors. We adopt the, uh, we then generalize in our thinking why this person is doing it, and we also adopt it as far as, well, it's working for them. They're not getting any backlash, so let me apply it to myself as well and see how it works for me. This then goes down to those three things, more stressful experiences, poor mental health, and more prone to experiencing stress. Goes into how we parent, how we interact with each other, um, what we tell our children. Uh, one thing that promotes trauma uh, more than anything I've ever could have imagined that uh, people have talked to me about during um, session has been, well, my uh, whatever happens in this house stays in this house. That has been so stressful for so many people, so many people. With uh, whatever happens in this house stays in this house, it has reinforced for many um, the belief that whatever is going on here is normal, whatever is going on here is okay, whatever is going on here nobody else needs to know because they can't do anything, or it will be worse for you if someone else finds out. So many people that have experienced uh, abuse and various types of other traumas um, have discussed and often had that common thing said to them that um, we have, uh, we're not supposed to talk about it. So therefore, it made it okay for the negativity to continue. And so then in their interactions with other people, in their relationships with significant others, in their parenting with their children, they have had that same type of interaction. What I do is perfectly fine. I make the best decisions. So therefore, my decision is to do whatever it was passed down to them. And so it keeps that cycle going. So therefore, the next generation um, experienced uh, all the things of the first generation, but in more of a uh, compacted way. It may not be generalized overall as far as through the community, but within that family, that's why I say it's more concentrated. All those things are, are brought together to head and given to that next generation. That next generation shares it with every person they interact with, any and every child that they um, conceive, and then now you have a whole cycle going on. And the irony with cycles like this is no one likes the cycle. The first generation, the second generation, the fifth generation, the tenth generation, no one likes the cycle. The thing is, it's before now it's not been talked about as much, uh, before now, it was usually called generational curses. And with those generational curses, just because the word curse mean, means to many people, well, you know, this was spoken on us. I can't do anything, so I just kind of have to sit and accept it. But now with identified it as generational trauma, it's more empowering for a person to say, this is not healthy for me. This is not healthy for my family. This is not healthy for my children, my future children, my future grandchildren, and I do not want to continue to put this forward. And that is what has given many people um, more power to speak out about the many things that they were told not to talk about as children or even as, as adults in their family, depending on who uh, held the power 
and how they um, carry the power in their family. Before I go forward with generational trauma, I am uh, a big book person. Like, I have to get the book, touch the book, touch the pages, fold the pages, write something in it, highlight. <laughs> I'm one of those people. I don't do good with books on uh, on the tablet. I came across this book, and it intrigued me because I wanted to know what was what it was about. I haven't completed reading it, but I got to this poem that is so powerful um, to me, uh, and I thought it would be so appropriate in opening the discussion for uh, generational trauma. Now, the name of the book is Black Girls Don't Cry, Unveiling Our Pain and Unleashing Our Hope by Angelica Lay. Uh, I found this on Amazon. I don't recall the amount of the book, but um, it's the background is black. It has a partial face with a tear coming from the eye. The name of the poem is called Release Me, a message from the powerful voice within. Release me to be happy and secure with myself. Allow me to feel beautiful inside and out. Stop doubting me every time I'm faced with a challenge. Put away the crippling fear that lingers throughout my mind. I am one of a kind and should not be compared to anyone else. Stop allowing the opinions of others to determine the next step I take. Allow me to shine, to step out, and be noticed. Insecurities, inferiority, fear, depression, and worthlessness. You have no place here. I'm ready to discover my talents and my reasons for being here. I'm ready to walk in confidence and to speak without fear. The time has come that I be free. Now I demand for you to release me. That spoke to me in all kinds of values. I, when I read that, I, I had to stop. I, that's actually the spot I've stopped in the book so far. Because every time I pick it back up, I have to read that. And it speaks so much. Um, to me, it's it's just amazing. With um, something like that as a mantra for yourself, it causes us to uh, begin to have to open up to ask the hard questions in our families and our community, uh, to open up and speak about our experiences, our hurts, um, even acknowledge any hurts that we've passed along, any hurts that we've contributed to with others. Um, Many things that we do and the interactions we have with people, whether they're positive or negative, I can guarantee you'll find a way that that has worked its way down to say this is appropriate interaction with, with people, okay, through some type of generational interaction. Um, I am going to go ahead and take a moment right now to go ahead and uh, talk about Friday night. Friday night at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Um, the featured album is featured album Friday on Bachelor News Radio Network. Listen this Friday from 5 p.m. to 5.30 p.m. Uh, for our featured artist of the week, which is Fantasia. Woohoo, Fantasia this week. Listen for 30 minutes of Fantasia at the Bachelor News dot airtime dot pro. It's the featured album Friday. You guys, y'all better listen to Fantasia. Fantasia 
Actually, that that's on point. Fantasia will help you cry and holler through some stuff. <laughs> so we're going to continue with intergenerational trauma. Now, the thing with intergenerational trauma that I do want to point out and acknowledge for many um, is that it's not just something that's racial. It's not just something that's for women. It's not just something, you know, that's for people from a certain area, okay? It's, it impacts everyone, every single person. Uh, so you have to be very mindful about the intergenerational uh, trauma. I have a question. Uh, the first one is, uh, okay, same question. Uh, in families discussing feelings and issues, is that a sign of weakness? No, that is a sign of strength. When a family, when a group of people who have different perspectives, different interactions, different things that are impacting them throughout their life, when they are able to, especially if it's more than one generation, like grandparents, parents, aunts, cousins, uh, the little kids, everyone, everyone can sit down and talk about their feelings and discuss issues. That is such a sign of strength. It's a sign of resilience. It's a sign of connection. And it's a sign that you guys can decide to break whatever generational trauma is going on in your family. Not only will that impact your family in a positive way, but your community, your community, and in hey, any place that you go, it's gonna it's gonna go with you. That positivity goes with you. So even getting outside of your community, it impacts everyone you're gonna be in touch with. That is such a sign of strength. Please, if you guys have that ability to sit down and have a positive, productive conversation about trauma in the family, do it. Um, I will speak before we start uh, talking about ways that uh, generational trauma can affect families. I'll speak from my own place of uh, trauma. In my father's family, there uh, apparently, as I found out because I didn't say anything until I was an adult, there was a, uh, a history of sexual abuse, molestation. And so... I was molested by an older cousin. I never told anyone because me as a child, um, I had the message that by all means, no matter what happens to you, you should protect other people. And so I was a daddy's girl, and uh, it was me, and I have an older sister. And so I knew within me if I told my dad was going to do something and he wasn't going to be there anymore, so I had to protect my dad. So in protecting him, I held on to that trauma. And in holding on to that trauma, it gave me so many years of stress, negative interactions with people, all kinds of horribleness that possibly I could have dealt with up front if I had come out and said this is what's happening. Now, when I did speak out about it, both of my parents had passed away, and the first person I divulged that to was my sister, who's 14 years older than me. And she gave me this look of terror. And I was like, what? You know, this happened to me. Why are you looking like this? And she said the exact same thing happened to her with a different older cousin. And in looking into, further into it, this behavior had happened between cousins, apparently. Uh, that's all I found out about on that side of my family, on my dad's side of the family. 
And thank God, as an adult, I, I was going into psychology and counseling. I was like, gosh, you know, just imagine how this could have been different if one of us, any of us, would have had the courage to not be bound with what happens here stays here and had been able to say, this is not right, this is not appropriate. And so many times people have so many experiences and you don't find out until you get to middle age when someone finally does gather the courage, because it takes a lot of courage to put that out in the atmosphere. It makes it a different level of real uh, to gather the courage to say, this happened to me. And then when someone else is looking at you and they're in a sense in disbelief, like, oh, my gosh, they said it out. Like, they said it. It's real. Like, I heard it, too. But it happened to me, too. Now I have to summon the courage to say, me, too. And then the next person that's like, oh, my gosh, I didn't know it was, you know, you guys. And it was me, too. I thought I was all by myself. Oftentimes, when you open up that communication in a family, you will find so many things. And just the first part of the healing process with generational trauma, transgenerational trauma, intergenerational trauma, whatever you choose to call it, the first thing is to say something. Get it out in the open. Take the black uh, tarp off of it. Take the dirt off of it because somebody tried to bury it in the backyard. Open it up and, and look at it. You don't even have to talk about it. Open the conversation up, and the air is going to get still. I will tell you that. But then when everyone catches their breath, you can realize, but we survived through it. We made it through it. Now, how do we keep this from happening any further than right here? How do we stop it now? Okay, so six ways um, that uh, families are impacted by generational trauma, and this is a big, big, huge one, um, and it looks like, because uh, we only have a few minutes left in this segment, we're going to continue with this next week, too, but we'll keep going. Um, the first impact is in denial. Denial is refusing to acknowledge that anything happened. Um, basically, um, if someone does come out or if – and and I'll give you an example based off of the statement that I'd given earlier. If I had made the statement of being molested when my paternal grandmother was alive, I am so certain she would have said, nope, that never happened. Let's move on. Nope, that never happened. That would have never happened here. Nobody would have done that. And so, therefore, it, um, in addition to quiet the person who did come out, and now there's a sense of shame and guilt, it also discourages other people from speaking out to say, no, this is a cycle in this family. Um, I do have another question from Daisy in Charlotte. Um, she says, I have been told I'm anxious and overly protective of my kids, which probably came from my mother. How do I avoid the generational trauma I may have experienced with her on them. So basically, from what I understand, Daisy, is how do you interact with your children in another way that you don't push forward the things that your mom pushed on to you that makes you kind of, I guess, overprotective uh, and anxious? The first thing is you have to identify what was the trauma, what were the traumas, because sometimes it's more than one. Um, 
with, for instance, um, any type of abuse, there are so many layers to the onion of abuse, regardless of what type it is, whether it's verbal, physical, emotional, mental, sexual. Uh, there are so many layers, and you have to look at all of those layers. I encourage people that have uh, trauma, whether they feel it's significant or not, I encourage them, go seek a therapist. Sit down one-to-one and talk to that person. That therapist may at some point say, hey, let's do some family sessions after you get yours to a point where it's more malleable, and let's talk about this. Let's get this pulled out. Let's, it's kind of, uh, in my country terms, like a little stick of fur that you pick up in your sock or in your shoe or in your foot when you're out walking in the country. If you don't pull that thing out and you keep walking, it's going to continue to create pain. It's going to get infected. It's going to impact other parts of your body. Um, so you got to pull it out really at the root. So I would encourage you, and even if your mom is still, if you and her are still in communication, um, encourage her to come to therapy with you. Didn't do some mother-daughter sessions. All of them may not be mother-daughter sessions. Some may be individual for you. Some may be individual for her. I encourage you to do that. And when we were talking about trauma, be mindful of the approach that you have with the people that you uh, may be discussing traumatic interactions with them that they put forward towards you. Because some people will feel attacked, contribute to the denial, and in that, just let them know, when I experience these things, leave their name out of it. But when I experience these things, these have been um, left a residual impact with me and the way I interact with people at work, in the way I interact with my husband, with my wife, with my children, with friends, with others in the community. And I want to start talking about this so I don't pass this on. So that, for one, also, there's not a continued re-traumatizing interaction with that person. Because if you notice, if it's never talked about in a family, you still have these interactions with the people who impacted that trauma in your life, and now you have to, in a sense, be in denial also that it happened and sit there and act like everything's okay. Uh, For instance, with that cousin before I brought that up, there were so many years we would have uh, family get-togethers, and this person is sitting there and talking to me about school and talking to me about friends and life and offering advice, and I'm sitting here in my mind like, are you serious? But on the outside, I had to portray that denial. And, oh, okay, well, thank you. I appreciate that, you know, good looking out, whatever, and, and move forward. So be mindful that um, generational trauma, it, it's so, so layered, so, so layered. And we all have to take a, a stand in saying we do not want to um, continue to have this moving forward. Um, I'll go ahead and touch on um, struggling with emotions. People that have been impacted by generational trauma may struggle with emotions. Um, Now, this may be something that is knowingly or unknowingly uh, done in your family. Some families uh, have a situation. I've come across several clients that say, um, 
We don't talk about anything too deep. Everything kind of has to be shallow. You had a good day at work? Well, that's good. That's good. What happened? And then once you start trying to explain what went good at work, it's kind of like you're cut off. And then it's, oh, well, you had a bad day at school? Well, what happened? And once you start to begin to break it down and, okay, now you're cut off, it's almost like you have this time clock going. And once you get too deep, your time clock expires. So if your family has difficulty dealing with emotions, uh, that is a sign um, of there's impact by generational trauma. Another sign uh, that's on the other end of that is a family that is constantly uh, argumentative, very very tense, um, maybe substance abuse uh, through the generations, alcohol abuse through the generations, physical abuse through the generations, sexual abuse, all kinds of any negative interactions through the generations are very uh, blatant signs that there is uh, generational trauma going on. Um, like I said, I'm going to pause there, and we will uh, continue with this next week. Like I said before, if anyone has been impacted uh, by trauma they're trying to manage, deal with, work through, I encourage you, please seek out a mental health uh, provider in your area. Mental health is not anything to be scared of. I know generationally uh, many people have said, oh, I don't need to talk about my problems to anyone. A therapist um, is the exact person to talk to them, talk to about. They're trained to deal with it. Um, as I tell clients, even it's when you come into the office or when we meet virtually, you leave all your stuff here. All the stuff we talked about, leave it here. I will take care of it. And then you go and work on the skills that we're working on. So with that being said, I want to thank you for tuning in today. Um, I hope today's discussion has been and will continue to be helpful to you in your life's journey. You've been listening to Emerging Ease with Keisha on the Backfoot News Network. Remember, you can also thank you for tuning in. You can also catch us on Facebook uh, at Emerging Ease um, and send any questions or comments to EmergingEase.com. Talk to you next week. Thank you for tuning in. I appreciate you for taking such a time as this to participate in your personal improvement with Emerging Ease. I'm Keisha, your host. Remember that in everything, there's an opportunity to learn and grow. If you are experiencing a difficult time, please reach out to the National Crisis Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-8255. And I look forward to hearing from you next week on Emerging Ease with Keisha. Another edition of the Bachelor News Radio Show on the Bachelor News Radio Network, WCOM in Chapel Hill, and of course on um, 
uh, IBM TV, Big Mind Entertainment, and all of those areas you can find us, TuneIn.com, iTunes. We're all over the map. That's what we do. I'm L.A. Bachelor. Thank you for joining us as always. Thank you if you listened to our show earlier today, and uh, we appreciate you uh, chiming in. I want to go to my guest. I mean, no hesitation bring him in. Uh, always good to have him on uh, the air uh, and got to get him on more. Uh, he is the from the HBCU Pro Sports Media Association, which I'm proud to be a member of, and uh, the Black College Sports Network. He is AD Drew. AD man, I, I hope all is well with you. I hope that, that uh, you guys are you and your your fam is, is safe and everything. Well, how's it going, LA? First of all, good man. Good, good. Yeah. Good to have you on, man, with your insight. I, I wanted to have you on. Obviously, we have an HBCU uh, football poll that will be uh, coming out, and I know you can uh, preview it. But I, I wanted to kind of look at, you know, the conferences, if you will, um, in terms of, you know, the the look. First, I want to start with the SWAC, because the SWAC is the most interesting now with Sam and Bethune there coming into to to the um, uh, the addition of that conference when you look at the talent when you look at the institutions and you look at the players and the coaches by the way you look at that um what do you see with this conference parity is the word for the conference right now uh you know Let's let's be honest. You really, even though you have your favorite, a lot of people are picking either Alcorn or Southern in the West. One of the two A and M's in the East, that being Alabama or Florida A and M in the East. Uh, it really would not surprise most people if any of those twelve teams wind up representing the uh, SWAC in the championship game. So parity. Right. Is is the word you know? You've got you've got all corn moving from east to west uh, with with an experienced team, but they didn't play in the springtime. Right. Southern comes off they their loss happened to be the UAPB who surprised everybody but themselves and won the West. UAPB was fifth beforehand. The defending conference champion. Do you really expect them to finish four or five? So, <laughs> you know, just just, just and Lord Jesus, Grambling went over. You know, is Grambling that bad? No, I don't think so. They, I think that was a one off for Grambling. So we just went through four of the six teams in the in the West. You know, Prairie View's always been a quarterback away from winning. And how long will Texas Southern? continue to feel like they could be beat up on before they start fighting back. Flipping it over to the east side, Alabama A&M, defending conference champion. Florida A&M, the defending Black College Sports Network, national champion from the 2019 season, the last season in which everybody participated, coming over from the MEAC to the SWAC, but they've got quarterback issues. They don't know who their uh, starting quarterback is. They've got three in camp. You know, when they say when you have two, you have none. Well, so what do they say when you have three? Mm. Their nemesis coming with them, Bethune. Well, Bethune has shown they could be fam. They have owned a decade of the teams 
in the Florida Classic. But keep this in mind, when Bethune has crossed over and played SWAT competition, they have a winning right. record against SWAT competition over the last 10 years. So I got to believe that, you know, the, the storyline is that in, in the East, you know, Florida A&M and Bethune in some cases have been picked, and you mentioned Alabama State, but Mississippi Valley State as well, in some cases people have picked, and, and it's wide open. Even in the West, like you said, with uh, uh, Pine Bluff and, and Alcorn State Southern is always going to be there. Um, it, this this seems like to be the most open, wide open uh, year in football for the SWAC, it, it, including those two teams coming in. That, that's correct. And keep something else in mind. You've got a couple of games, and I'm trying to pull up my schedule grid while I'm sitting up here talking to you uh, mm. right now, LA. But uh, you know, you've got a couple games week one that will determine the direction that these uh, conference races take. Uh, I believe you've got the Labor Day Classic. Right. Everybody is sleeping on, and everybody's been focusing on the uh, Orange Blossom Classic. Don't forget, you've got the Labor Day Classic, in which is a, is a conference division game that's going to set the pace in the West also. Yeah, and you're right. I'm looking at it too. I mean, um, there there's some powerhouse. <laughs> I mean, when you you look at um, obviously uh, Mississippi Valley State's playing out of conference uh, against uh, Murray, but then when you talked about uh, uh, Prairie and Texas, um, and you look at, at, at Lane and and Pine Bluff. Uh, I mean, there's some really tough, and then and then the out of conference stuff. I think the SWAC is really they they could really sink or swim based on what they do, the 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 way they beat each other up, if you will, and the way they play. I mean, you know, A and M's playing South Carolina State. I mean, there's some really good out of conference stuff too. That if they if they win these games and then they they perform amongst the conference, then that bodes well for them moving you know in the postseason play. That that that, that is correct. So SWAC is is going to be interesting. Flip uh, this flip over to the BAC. Right. What I find interesting about the BAC is. The six teams left in the conference, you know, that's not the interesting thing. What I find interesting about the BAC is you play an 11-game football schedule in the FCS level. With only six teams in your conference, that means you're only playing five conference games. What what does that mean? You you will play more non-conference games than you will conference games. Unheard of in major college football. So how does that impact things? Uh, how does that non-conference schedule impact potential teams maybe getting a, a buy-in to the play, not excuse me, a, buy, a bid to the playoffs? Or how does that look when you're talking about a, hey, a South Carolina State or a Morgan State may go 5-0 and in the conference, but they may be 5-6 and overall going into the Celebration Bowl. How is that going to look? Mm-hmm. 
And, and do, do you do you buy at. into do you buy into you know I've had conversations I, I I won't say either way but you know a lot of people are looking at Commissioner Thomas and this conference as you know you lose A and T you lost Hampton and those are two academically and athletically um, um, powerhouses. And then you lose the the, the 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 rivals between Fam and Bethune. Is that a death sentence for this conference? No, I, I want you to I want you to look at something. You got the BAC, you got the OVC, uh, you've got the I believe it's the uh, A Sun, and you've got the, you've got the Big South South. You've got about four or five small FCS conferences out there with five, six, seven, with less than eight teams in the conference. Okay. Let's be real. Somebody is not going to survive. I don't know who it is. I'm hoping it's not the BAC. But somebody is not going to survive being that small for too long. We just don't know who it is. The one thing the BAC has is its heritage. But let's be real. The BAC was originally a basketball conference. So that's always been the – that was one of the biggest arguments Florida A&M and Bethune had. They were, they were football-playing schools in a basketball conference. South Carolina State is a football-playing school coming over from the SIAC once upon a time in a basketball conference. So those are some of the things that are going to have to be figured out with whoever the new commissioner is to get them back on the ground. And I think maybe some fresh blood. Commissioner Thomas did a good job overall, but kind of like uh, uh, Willie Mays. You know, Willie Mays had all them home runs. He was good. But what does everybody remember? The Willie Mays in the Mets uniform. They forget about yeah. all the days that he had with the with the, with the New York and the San Francisco Giants, right? And that you know, you ask T Mac, you ask T Mac, he even as a Mets fan, he didn't, he he really didn't uh, enjoy Willie Mays in the Mets <laughs> Mets uniform in terms of those those years. And it, you you with respect to the Miak, I I hope you're right. I, I you know I I've, I've covered. You know, three of those. Specifically, we'll get to the other two real quick before you go. But I hope that uh, uh, that they, uh, you know, add in or bring in um, something else. So we we talked about the um, the MIAC and the SWAC real quick. If we could look at the the CIAA, and and you have a lot of the same, the usual suspects. And again, I know uh, those football predictions will be coming out on our on our website. Um, but you know, you you got Bowie State um, that's always up there, and the the, the, the Virginia teams, uh, their Fayetteville State is always there, and then in the and and then when you look at the 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 South, you know, um, Shaw's been picked to do well. Shawan's supposed to do well in the North. What are you looking at uh, from what you? understand and and heard um about the CIAA in the northern and the southern divisions the thing in the south Fayetteville has dominated the south over the past five years 
Right. You've got the traditional power of Winston Salem State and Shaw in the in the South. But no matter who has won in the South over the last decade, it seems like they get to the championship game and lose by three touchdowns or more. <laughs> I know it's not. I, it, 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 I know it's not 100 percent true, but it's just how it feels. You know, Fayetteville has not competed in the in the CIAA championship game uh, when they've gotten there. Neither has Shaw. You know, so those are just different things that you 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 have to consider. First of all, who's going to knock the king of the hill, i.e. Bowie, who has not lost a regular season game? in the past two years. Who's going to knock them mm. off? Right. You know, you know, will Virginia State get back to where, where they used to be? We saw a resurgence of Virginia Union. Uh, Shawan has always had the offense. Can they finally get a defense to match that offense? So th- the competition is going to be in the north. So the, the parity is seems to be in the north, although Bowie is, is winning it, but they're more, there's more dominant seems like this up north. So that that's the big question. Can they, can anybody knock off one of those northern teams? And don't be surprised in some of these games where you've got uh, some of these CIAA teams opening up against some of these VAC teams, mm. if you see these CIAA teams pick up a winner too. Wow, uh, and and as a, a, a colleague of mine who's from Norfolk State, if if they lose to some of the, uh, you mentioned the D two schools, that would be something. It'd be big for those D two. But you're right, Bowie State is really the the standard. It's been you know the last couple of years, and even if they hadn't won in past that, they've always seemed to be there. And here in North Carolina, uh, a lot of people are. Are, are hoping you got three teams. I, was, I really, I, I don't want to play favors that John C. Smith might be on the outside looking in, but you know, Winston Salem State travels well, and they're always a, a a favorite, and and certainly Fayetteville State, the Broncos have always it seems uh, to be there. Don't don't sleep on Saint Aug too. I, I, I think that they they might surprise some people. Uh, the SIAC, it, it's really. This preseason, and I haven't covered them enough to see, and you know better, but you always got Albany State in the East. You always got Fort Valley State. You got the Morehouse that'll be there. You'll sneak into Clark Atlantis in, in the East. It's an unbalanced now with the West. Miles and Tuskegee is always there. Um, we had uh, Central States coach on as well. Um, but Savannah State has been predicted to be the the winner of the East, and Savannah just came back and lowered, you know, went to D two. So, what do you see in the SIAC? It's a very intriguing uh, preseason poll that the, the SIAC is putting out. Savannah State had the second best record in the SIAC in 2019. They. Uh... The only problem with Savannah State was they were ineligible for the playoffs. Mm. So they could not compete, compete for the SIEC championship. Remember, they beat Albany State. They beat That's right. Fort Valley State. They beat everybody in the SIAC that they played in 2019. So 
Let's keep let's keep that in mind. No, it does not surprise me that you picked Savannah State. They still got some of those MEAC athletes walking around on that campus. This mm. is, if if they are going to make noise, this is going to be their year. And if they have a good year, they're going to open up for recruiting to be able to, to sustain this for a few few years. Uh, what about that unbalanced well, schedule, though, with the 13 teams? You got eight, I think, in one and five in the other. That that seems well, to be – Let's keep in mind, Let's keep something in mind. Two of those teams are ineligible for the playoffs, that being right. Allen and Everwater. So you're really talking six and five. Right. So those, those are the only games that count. That count. So uh, the Allen games do not count. And the Everwaters games do not count as far as the conference uh, standings go. Now, one thing that uh, is going to, that's going to be interesting is going to be who are they going to ultimately move to the West? Because one, if not two teams, would ultimately need to move to the West in order to to create that balance where you get a uh, seven and six schedule. You know, you can't continue. You, obviously, you can't continue with the eight and the five. Speaking speaking of the West, you know, talking about Bowie, is anybody going to knock Bowie off? Will Tuskegee ever come back to the Tuskegee that we know? Right. That's number one. Uh, can anybody stop Miles? going to be tough. Watch out for Kentucky State. I think, you know, if any year, especially with the uh, questions at quarterback for Tuskegee, this could be the year that, Kentucky State challenges Miles and passes Tuskegee for this one year. And I say that as a Tuskegee alum. I was going to say, you throw that in, you know, as as an alum. I I, I mean, just a solid perennial football program. But like you said, it's been falling off a little. Um, And Miles have been pretty impressive. Um, and um, the the last few years, and 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 getting um, the, not only the the vision, but getting to uh, the championship game. But it'll be interesting uh, uh, to see what happens. A final question for you: I, I I looked at about five or six different storylines to watch in this football season, and folks, we're going to give the information where they can where you can actually see the uh, poll. Um, that AD and company have put together, and I, I will be voting myself. But th- we talked about the MEAC AD. How do they respond losing these teams? Uh, are we we looking at expansion? Or are they going to grab a, a independent or a D2 and build? What, what do you see them doing ultimately? The MEAC will have to add a – Historically, white college and university to mm. uh, to balance itself out. You you have to think outside the box. You know, maybe with the things that may be transpiring in the Big South with the uh, A-Sun starting its own conference, there's a chance that you may see A&T and or Hampton come back. Wow. So, wow. But realistically, they're going to have to look – non-traditional HBCU, and keep something in mind. Their expansion will not be controlled by football, but will be controlled by baseball because they only have four baseball-playing institutions. They need to get to six in order to maintain their automatic bid. So that's going to dictate 
their expansion. That's why you had the talk of Virginia State and Kentucky State earlier this summer because those two uh, Division twos have baseball. And they're, they're very good uh, programs, too. Real quick, I know you run out of time. How do the, the, the defectors from there – um, you had two that already affected, then the two others. How do they do in terms of football with Bethune and Florida A&M and Hampton and, and A&T this particular year? How do you think they do? Uh, when you say how do they do, who you, you say who? In, in terms of uh, how, do they, how do they perform? Do you think they have a shot in their perspective? Uh, obviously, Bethune and, and uh, Fam is in the swag, and then Hampton – and A and T and the PWIs. How do you think they perform in terms of football? Hampton has not had success since joining the Big South, and if we remember right, they weren't too successful as they believe in the BAC. A and T predicted third. I think they will actually finish a little bit higher. Uh, FAMU and Bethune will compete, but don't know if they will quite get over the top this year. Uh, in in the in the swag east keep and keep this one thing in mind the top three of the top four teams in the BA for the last five years are now gone mm. yep Alabama A and M. This is something that a, a alum friend of mine uh, asked. Uh, they had a debate about. You know, it was a shortened pandemic year. They 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 won their first title, I guess, since '05 or '06 or whatever it was. Um, are, are they were they a product of the shortened season or were they legit? Yes, they are. They were a product of the shortened season, and mm. they will they will be a product of their schedule again this year because notice who's not on their schedule. No Southern, no Alcorn on that schedule. Wow. What What about the uh, final question for you? Um, it, it, you know, Jordan Lewis, you you know, played at Southern. Southern's always got a great program. He 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 had a a, a great year as a d- defensive player, ten and a half sacks, I think, or or something, eleven sacks. I, I forgot what he had. Um, it, it, it can he, you know. Add his name into some of the greats that come out of not just that program, but come out of uh, HBCUs defensively. Yeah, uh, Jordan Lewis uh, definitely can, and I'm give you one other one that you need to look at. Uh, Joshua Pryor up at uh, Bowie State, also, I think he could mm-hmm. be a think he could be a good one. Yeah, they're, they're, they're so. both great players, and I think that that, that can happen. Uh, um, A.D., before you go, just if you want to uh, let people know how to reach you, how to check out the uh, polls coming up and, and all of that, sir. I appreciate your time, too. Yeah, uh, you can check out the poll, actually, at uh, uh, HBCU Pro Sports Media Association. Google it, Google it on the web. That's where you can check out the poll. You can reach me directly at on Twitter at BCSN Drew. That's BCSNDREW on Twitter. And you can follow me on the Black College Sports Network at my BCSN1 on Twitter. 
Facebook, and on YouTube. So that's where you can find me at. AD, I appreciate you, man. I know you got to run, man. Love you, man. You be careful, and I'll talk with you soon and talk with you on Monday, too. All right. We appreciate you, my brother. Appreciate you, bro. All right. It's the Bastion News Radio Show. Stay cool. Great day, everyone. I am Elder Janelle Strickland, host of the Life Cafe radio broadcast from Maximizing Life Family Worship Center. I invite you to tune in every Saturday from 5 to 6 p.m. Tune in, maximize your life with the Word of God, and be blessed. Only on the Bachelor News Radio Network.
Welcome back to the show. It's the Bassy News Radio Show on uh, the Bassy News Radio Network. You can listen live right now at thebassynews.airtime.pro. Uh, of course, uh, all of our affiliates, IBM TV, Big Mind Entertainment, WCOM, and uh, Chapel Hill, uh, North Carolina. Bringing my guest, uh, touring the AFC South, uh, Nashville Voice, SportsAwakening.com, and a partridge in a pear tree. He is uh, Mike Patton, and Mike, uh, always good to have you on, my friend. Uh, thanks for having me on, and uh, I, I might have another one for you to add uh, at the end of the uh, month. <laughs> oh, my God. Boy, I'm telling you, the hardest working man in the business. The hard, it just He got 27 jobs, so, you know, that's what he does supporting those, those babies, and so I, I get it, and his wife. Uh, Mike, I asked this question, and I looked at – I don't look at a lot of preseason, but I happened to catch um, the the five quarterbacks coming out of this draft. Um, so my question is, is multifold. First, who did you have if you had to pick out of those five kids – coming out, who would you have picked first? Number two, who looked good, albeit one game? Um, and number three, this is more of a, a comment question, is that we've had the so-called quote-unquote pundits that say, you know, this is the greatest class since Roethlisberger and Eli Manning and Philip Rivers, or 83. That's Marino and company. So what do you make of that as well? Uh, let's see. As far as NFL uh, draft quarterbacks, let's see. I'm just uh, kind of refreshing my memory a little bit. Uh, honestly, take you got, a look you, at you it, got uh, Justin Fields. You got the kid in and and with the uh, Jets. It. Yeah. Okay. Well, I got the. Go I got it. Uh, just uh, you know, in my, in my mind, I'm kind of refreshing my memory a little bit. Um, I th- I would say if I had the first overall pick, it definitely would be between Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields, depending upon what kind of team I had around them. If I had a solid running team. Uh, I would definitely pick uh, Justin Fields. He can make a lot of things happen in, in the passing game. Uh, well, no, I would say Trevor Lawrence in that case. But if I didn't have a solid running game, I definitely would go with Justin Fields because he can bring that he's that it factor, pretty much. He can do any and everything you need. Um, you know, as far as who was impressive, I think Justin Fields was the most impressive of all of them. Uh, Trey Lance had his moments. Mac, well, I would say Mac Jones had his moments too. It definitely looked solid. But you know, I'm not making too much of that because if you look at Mac Jones' game, it was mostly checkdowns the entire time. So, you know, I would say Justin Fields was a little bit better in terms of the production. Trevor Lawrence holding on to the football a little bit too much sometimes. Uh, but, you know, it's kind of funny that he hasn't been named the starting quarterback yet <laughs> there. And, it, you know, Urban Meyer is trying to say it's a quarterback competition, but we all know there isn't, there isn't one. Um, but yeah, as far as what, and what was the last question on the comments and the best class this, uh, since this this <laughs> class? I mean, they want to compare it to '83. They want to compare it to when Roethlisberger and that group came in. I think it's vastly too far and overrated. That's, I mean, too soon yeah, and overrated. That's, yeah, it's way too soon for that. I just you know, I, I, there's definitely talented quarterbacks in this draft. Of course, with Trey Lance and Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields, Zach Wilson, you know, Mac Jones to an extent. But, you know, I can't say that this is the best quarterback draft class ever and those type of things. I'm like, let it play out. 
I mean, they have the potential to be, but I wouldn't say it's the best ever yet. That's just a little bit too soon for that, a little bit premature. No, and Mac Jones, uh, Mike, I would say out of the five, even the kid with the Jets showed the mobility out of BYU, that this is an era of mobility. And Matt, even at Alabama, didn't do a lot. I mean, he didn't have to. I mean, you got all these studs. You just drop back and throw the ball. Even, like you said, with the check downs with New England and everything, it it doesn't seem like he would be the guy, I would say, that has the least – again, one one game, you're going to see vanilla defenses and all that and the check downs. But he – if you ask me who would have the least chance to succeed – even with the the great so-called great you know guru coach, that you got to be able to move, and you these other four guys can move. Um, you've seen them run. Justin Fields, even like you said, a kid from Clemson. But I, I just think about that. So when you you look at that, the, the talk about that, and if if I'm New England, I, I'm still not thinking that. But the, I know what the fans want. They want the lily white new um, uh, Tom Brady is in New England. But if if I'm Belichick, if I want to win, you spend all this money on offense with all these receivers and all this stuff coming in, that you're looking at Cam like he's the guy that's going to do the win now. You want to look at Mac Jones down the road, whatever. But, that you know, fans want to run him out of the town for a lot of different reasons. We don't have to go in. But I, I, I do think that Cam could at least get it done when he had the weapons around him. Just to add to that, you know, he his first seven or eight games, he was really good. But then he had COVID, and you heard all the players. You covered his stuff. The, that COVID stuff messed a lot of players up. I'm not making excuses for him to miss passes. I'm just saying that COVID thing, and they couldn't practice because of COVID – it made a big difference, and I think that New England might be a hell of a lot better than what people uh, are giving them credit for, especially if Cam is under center. Uh, definitely. Uh, you know, with Mac Jones, the thing is, he, he like you mentioned, limited mobility. Um, he, you know, in, in college it was shown that he had limited mobility, and those were slower players than you have in the NFL. So imagine what is going to happen when he's in the pocket in the NFL. Uh, that's not going to change. That's only going to make his clock quicker, which means they're not going to be able to spread the field, which means they're going to have to throw it short all game, which essentially is Deacon Dunk football. Uh, with Cam Newton back there, he can escape the pocket. He has weapons, of course, now with John Smith, Hunter Henry when he's healthy. Um, and you just got a, a, you know, a, a litany of uh, wide receivers that they brought in as well. So uh, I would say, yeah, for right now, Cam is the weapon. Cam is the guy. He should be the quarterback. I've heard all this talk about Mac Jones and Mac Jones being the starter and this, that, and the other. But the thing is, once you go Mac Jones, you can't go back to Cam. Because if you go back to Cam and take Mac Jones out of there, then you pretty much uh, have shocked all the confidence out of him. And he's not necessarily going to be the same guy. So I would go with Cam for this year and then reevaluate it at the end of the year. That would be the smart decision to make, which I think is what Belichick is going to make. And and I think it's bad for both players. I mean, Cam, you bench Cam, he's like, I, you know, I'm gone. I, I don't want to be here. And, and that's not good. Um, I think he's matured over his career. 
Um, and like you said, you start Mac and then you back, you bench him, then you stump his growth as well. So it's, you know, Belichick has to stay with Cam, let it play out. Um, as a black quarterback, um, you want to have the opportunity to fail, right? That's that's what we want. We want our quarterbacks. You've seen a great one in 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 Tennessee. I mean, you so you want the opportunity to be able to sink or swim, not to be on a bench where you don't get a chance to fail or be successful. So with Cam, I still think he's still got some stuff in his tank. People don't believe it. I do. Um, it, it obviously in the right situations. Uh, talking with uh, Mike Patton. Mike, so um, when you look, I look at the NFC, and, again, this is me speaking. So, so Pat Nation, this is not Mike speaking. This is me. I thought that the fix was in for Tampa to get there and win anyway. I thought, you know, Tom Brady's the golden boy of the league. You know, um, Sean Payton is very overrated. They had no business losing to Tampa. They did. Uh, Drew Brees has been bad for a long time. He should have been retired. He's like Roethlisberger. He's been throwing picks in the playoffs for a while now. So that happened. They they certainly were going to beat Tampa. Certainly were going to beat Washington. And then um, I, I think that Green Bay and Aaron Rodgers, as great as he is, is peanut butter sandwich too. So Tampa had their their way to get there. They got one of the weakest schedules, Mike, this year in a weak division, in my opinion, with the Saints taking it back. Carolina still figuring things out, and Atlanta's probably going to not be good at all. And then you look at their schedule, they really don't have a tough schedule. So this is kind of set up for them to try to repeat. So what's the team that can dethrone the Super Bowl champions and, and not let them get there? Uh, for me, it's the Rams. If if Matthew Stafford can be Trent Dilfer, get out of the way. Don't make no mistakes. You got a great defense. I know you lost a great running back that got hurt, and I know that. But you got two great players in your secondary, arguably the the, the greatest player in this last ten years on the defensive line. You got a great defense. You know, so just get out of the way, Matthew Stafford. Let us do our thing. And I think the Rams are the team uh, that can dethrone them. But what do you see with Tampa, and what do you see if this not Tampa, a team that will not Tampa off? All right. Well, as far as a team that can knock Tampa off, you had the right division, but I still think the wrong team. Uh, if you look at the Rams, the Rams uh, defensively, they lost their defensive coordinator which a lot of people don't talk about. He went across the hallway and now is the is the, the head coach for the Los Angeles Chargers. So that's a huge thing. They still have two of the best defensive players in all the football, of course. But, you know, you got to think, how can the, the new defensive coordinator camouflage the other pieces on that team too? Um, you know, I think the actual team that can win this division is the team that won the division uh, not in 2020 but 2019 but that would be the San Francisco 49ers. I mean, honestly, I'm not saying that. I knew that you were going to say like that. I knew you were going to say not that. that. I'm not saying that because I like the team. I'm saying that because look at the team. They're back defensively in terms of what they've added. Uh, you got Nick Bosa back. You've got, um, you've got Ken Law with another year of experience under his belt, and they added more depth pieces up front. Okibon from the Los Angeles Rams came over to the 49ers as well. Uh, and then at every level, 
you've got some pretty impressive players. The only question would be cornerback, but, you know, we'll see what happens there. Um, you know, I think they're pretty solid with the way Barrett played last year and Mosley. Um, offensively, you know, of course, they're still strong up front, off the line. Uh, they still have huge check, which is a uh, multi-weapon. He can line them up in the slot, fullback, tight end, anywhere. George Kittle. You still have a stable running backs. So they're about four or five deep there. So, you know, the only question mark is can Jimmy G get it done in pressure time? But the thing is, it's positive about this team is their defense is so good that they they don't play from behind a lot. So that's uh, one team I would say to look out for. I, I say you can, you can make a case for pretty much any team out in the NFC West who ever wins that division because, in my opinion, that's the toughest division in the NFL this year. Yeah, but uh, but uh, I'm thinking, but I guess, again, going back to the question, Tampa's schedule, they brought all 22 guys back, essentially, on both sides. So who dethrones them outside of San Francisco? Okay. Uh, another team I'll, I'll point out to you, of course, is the Rams. They, they definitely, if they get Matthew Stafford playing at the level that he could potentially play at, then, yes, they can make some things happen and win that division. Um, and definitely dethrone them. Um, Seattle, you can't count them out either. Um, I don't think you can count on anybody in the NFC East to do anything there. Um, as far as the NFC North, I will say this. If the Packers get solid play, now they should have won the game last year in the NFC Championship against them, but if they can get solid play in terms of stopping the run, and continue to, you know, grow up in their secondary, then the Packers can definitely make some things happen and win the and, and win the NFC and beat the beat the uh the uh Tampa Bay Bucks. So that's another team you gotta think on as well. They have all the pieces to do so. I mean they they are they got arguably the best quarterback and the best wide receiver receiver tandem in in the league, at least in the NFC, arguably, right, to, with Rodgers. And, right. uh, but you, but when you uh, – I, I just don't have a lot of confidence. And then when you look at the strain, Mike, between ownership and the GM and Aaron Rodgers, that he may have a lights out, but uh, the questions um, that you brought up is spot on. Can they stop the run? I mean, they just that, – that's been – Two issues has been with Green Bay, and it's making its way into Seattle. And I, I'm hoping Russell will say, listen, you give me what I need or let me go, is stopping the run and the offensive line. They never really protect Aaron Rodgers. They really don't. I mean, he scrambles. He, he's, he's, he's great. He's got the arm and all that. They don't protect him. And then they can, if you can't stop – Tampa from getting off the off the field. I don't care how great Aaron Rodgers is. He can't keep coming back. They did put pressure on the guy. He's trying to make plays down the field. He's throwing interceptions like you saw, you know, in, in the championship game last year was the, that type of thing. You know, it's a struggle um, for me to see Green Bay uh, to get there. What about one team in the NFC that you think can surprise, and we'll go to the AFC. To me, I think, I I was going to say, to me, I think that if Justin Fields gets on the the, the field with that defense, with that defense, which they had a bad year last year, 
But with that defense, I think Chicago could be uh, a team to watch, not only in that division, but in the playoffs. Hmm. Okay, well, I was going to go that same division, but I was going to go with a different team. Because I'll say this, although I do like uh, Justin Fields being the starting quarterback there, I just say I can't say I depend on I, I can I count on the Bears to come through. Um, one team I was going to say, I know this will shock Minnesota. some people, and you're gonna yeah, Minnesota. <laughs> oh, I will say this. This is why I'll say though, I don't expect their defense to be as bad as they were last year, and also if they just lean heavy on the running game like they have previously, and just basically control the games where Kirk Cousins would have to win you the game then, yes, they can win that division. They have one of the most versatile backs in the NFL in Dalvin Cook. And then, honestly, look at their wide receiver core. you got a, you got a, a duo out there, Jefferson and uh, – God, I forgot the other guy's name. But, uh, yeah, they've got oh, one yeah, of the best – uh, The young kid, they've got, yeah. the best, they've got one of the best wide receiver duos in the NFL. All they need is Irv Smith to step up. And there you go. That offense can be. Well, Mike, let me ask good. you though. Let, let me just. But let me ask you this though. You have got a quarterback. To me, <laughs> is vastly overpaid and overrated. And his own coach said he's hurting the team by not getting vaccinated. So that relationship is is really strained. And then, as I'm a Florida State lover, and I I see I love Dalvin Cook, but he says hurt. Like he's getting hurt like mm. every year now. So when you look at the – if you mention those two guys, those are concerns. If I'm a Viking fan or if I'm trying to win that division, those are two important guys on that team. You know, one controversial and just overrated. The other one can't stay on the field all the time. How do they win that division? Well, the thing is with me, um, they win that division by being solid offensively and – the thing is, running the football, that limits the times your defense has to be on the floor, on the floor, on the field. And then, plus, their defense, I don't think their defense has a down year that, like they did last year under Mike Zimmer. Um, so, you know, I know there are hurdles there. There's always hurdles for every team in some aspect. Well, the only reason I'm mentioning them is if everything breaks right for them in terms of their philosophy and their defense, yes, they can – potentially win that division, and potentially threaten for the uh, NFC title. We're talking with Mike uh, Patton here on the Bastion News Radio Show, the Bastion News Radio <laughs> Network, WCOM um, in Chapel Hill, IBM TV, and Big Mind Entertainment. Mike, uh, just to put a, a wrap on the NFC, the NFC least, and it should be that, um, you know, I, I don't – who wins? I mean, Washington clearly has the best defense. Dallas might be the most balanced, although I'm waiting to see what uh, their running back can do. Um, Giants, it, 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 it all falls on this quarterback if he could stop throwing interceptions. And we don't know what we're going to get out of Jalen Hurts and, and Philly. So who who wins that division? All right, I'm going to run through all the teams real quick and kind of break down. Uh, break that down for you. As far yes. as Dallas, Dallas gets better this year, but I will say this: uh, I'm still not sure about their defense. Even though they did hire Dan Quinn as their as their defensive coordinator, you also think Dan Quinn was a great defense coordinator in Seattle because of what the previous coach, Chris Bradley, created for that defense. That's why he was a great defensive coordinator. 
So I would say their defense is still going to be a work in progress. Wouldn't necessarily say they'll be great, but they'll be better. Um, so, but still not to the level where they need to be. Offense going to be solid. They're going to put up numbers, but I just don't think they'll do enough to uh, win when it counts. Uh, as far as the Eagles, Hurts and Devontae Smith will be a nice connection, but you got to wonder what else is going on with that offensive line because the offensive line, I, as far as I know, they haven't really addressed it. So still pretty bad. <laughs> Hurts can camouflage it, but not everything. And as far as defensively, they have some growing up to do, mainly in seeing if they can get another pass rusher outside of Brandon Graham. Uh, as far as the Washington Redskins, yes, they have a defense that is uh, definitely some beast over there. But the thing is, you have to look at their offense. They're being led by Ryan Fitzpatrick. Yes, Ryan Fitzpatrick is actually the starting quarterback for them. And can he actually keep it together and be Fitzmagic instead of Fitztragic more? That's the question offensively. They do have the weapons, though. Which leads me to the New York football giants. New York football giants have Saquon Barkley coming back. However, He's coming back off injury, so he'll probably be on the pitch count to start off the season. They do have the weapons of Kenny Galladay, Shepard, and those guys on the outside, as well as Evan Ingram, which people forget about. is a pro ball tight end out there that can cause matchup nightmares when he catches the ball. Uh, but the biggest thing I look at is their defense to improve. you got Logan Ryan. You brought in the Dory Jackson, who may be in a system that fits him better, even though he didn't do much last year for the Titans and was always injured. That's to be, you know, to be determined what he can do. Uh, Leonard Williams up front. Uh, you've got Blake Martinez, the tackle machine, and their defense didn't play bad last year. It's just all on which Daniel Jones do you get. With Saquon Barkley back there and them using the running game, I think that curtails the mistakes that he makes. And I got the New York Giants winning the ESC, NFCs. Well, that, that Daniel Jones better not be a pick six, though. He better not be a pick six. Uh, I mean, I'll they got the weapon. You're right. I'm with you. I, I think they got mm-hmm. a solid enough defense, and they got the weapons on offense. But it, this dude, they they had a chance to beat Tampa last year, and he threw some bad uh, throws and made some picks. So he's got to mature for me. I, um, well, I definitely agree. He's got. He's definitely got to mature. But the thing you also do to make a quarterback better and keep them from defeating themselves, you feed that running game, too. Right. So then it's probably on Saquon and the running game that really that's going to make this thing. If he's coming back uh, 100% mm-hmm. I would, from, from... I wouldn't say it's necessarily all on the running game. I would say that if they can find that balance to where they're not third and longs very much or third and mediums very much, where they can kind of – you know, free flow with the uh, with the uh, the offensive playbook with uh, Jason Garrett. I definitely would say they could uh, they could they could definitely limit you know the the times he turns the ball over and the times he's put in situations where he's got to make a play or they don't or they don't do anything. Well, and I think that you uh, some guys are good coaches, some guys are good coordinators. <clears throat> I think Garrett's a good coordinator, like Dan Quinn could be a good coordinator. Um, as you had mentioned um, in that situation, but uh, we'll see. Real quick, just to run through, I know uh, you got to run. Uh, you look at the AFC East. I'm going to leave the South alone for now, but you look at the East. Um, it's the Bills to lose, um, but I think you know Miami 
you know, depending on this quarterback and and what they do and their their schedule changes, uh, could take a step back. And I don't think, like I said, with Mac Jones, if they go with Cam, I think New England could be a, a better than their seven and nine record last year. The Jets are going to be the Jets. Yeah, the Jets are still going to be the Jets, but I think the Jets are going to be a tougher out out this year, especially with my guy Soleil being the defensive the office, the head coach. Yeah, that's right. Good. CJ CJ Mosley's coming back, which a lot of people forget. <clears throat> Excuse me. A lot of people forget that CJ Mosley's coming back. He was injured the first year there, and he sat out last season uh, due to uh, COVID nineteen. So he's back, and they have a leader there. And of course, you know you have Quentin Williams up front, which you know that's the Alabama connection between the defensive line and uh, linebackers. So they'll right. be solid defensively, uh, and I think they'll be in games. They just can't win them at this point right now, especially when they're depending on – honestly, I like Corey Davis, but I don't think he's the number one wide receiver, and that, that's an issue for me. Uh, uh, but I will say this. It is the Bills' division to win, and I do think the Patriots actually will challenge them more than the Dolphins will. I, I don't think the Dolphins – I agree. Uh, I think the Dolphins are third in the East. I agree with you. And you're spot on. I agree 100. percent I think it's Buffalo, but I think it's the Patriots that contend for that division more so than Miami. I think Miami takes a step back. I hope this kid uh, they don't blame it on him. Now, if his performance is not right, then of course he should get someone to blame. But I hope that this coach and this player at quarterback doesn't get these these guys of color don't get. To blame unless they deserve it. AFC West is listen. I, I think you agree is the is the Chiefs to lose in in terms of the conference period, let alone the division. But I think the Chargers and the Broncos are going to be a lot better. Um, Chargers getting the, the other Bolsa back and and uh, and and having those 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 people in this quarterback. Um, of playing another year will be better. Denver has one of the better defenses in all of, of football, and and I think if they can get their quarterback, if they if they get their quarterback situation straight, uh, as, as especially if they go with Bridgewater, who has the most consistently, although he struggled a little bit with Carolina, but you know with that offensive line, you're probably going to struggle with no no running back. Um, I think they'll be better. The, the Raiders. And and Chucky, he gets a pass, but because he the owner seems to love him, or maybe Chucky has some naked pictures of him or something. But but I, I think they uh, finish. I think they finish last. But what do you see in the AFC West? NFC uh, the AFC West. Here's what I got. I'll I'll say Denver may be better, but I, I'm not sold on Lock. If they go with Lock, they're not going to be better in my opinion. Uh, the Chargers, the Chargers, the Chargers. I think the Chargers actually will get better with that litany of weapons. Just depends on that defense growing up, and Joey Bosa actually stepping up and being a leader for that defense. Um, it's not that Melvin Ingram is gone, by the way, who plays for your, your Pittsburgh Steelers. But um, you know, then you've got mm, you've got Kansas City, and then you've got uh, why am I blanking out on the other team in that division? The Vegas Raiders. The Vegas Raiders. Vegas. Oh, <laughs> yeah, never mind. Sorry, I, I, I forgot about them because they have really been relevant. But, but uh, you know, as far as the the division, it's going to be the Kansas City Invitational again. Kansas City will win. 
I think the Raiders will be better, but I don't think they'll be up there yet. The Chargers will be better, uh, but they won't reach the Chiefs. And, of course, you know, the Denver Broncos are going to be the Denver Broncos, despite the, them being a, maybe a little more exciting with all their all their young weapons, especially Noah Fant and Jerry Judy. Yeah, that is, you're right at the running back spot. I, so you don't think anybody but Kansas City makes the playoffs out of the West? I think that uh, San Diego actually has the best shot. So they definitely have a shot to be there. Right. Los Angeles, remember, they're, they're all over the place. Los Angeles Chargers, yep. Because <laughs> they keep moving. And then finally, uh, again, um, the AFC North, we haven't had a chance to really talk about it. Um, it to me, it's an intriguing division. I don't see much out of my Steelers. Um, to be quite honest about it, um, I think the Ravens have, uh, of the four, have the best defense. Certainly their secondary, the back back four are, are better than anybody in that division. Cleveland has balance. They probably have arguably the best offensive line. We'll see what Baker's going to do. I don't think – I'm not sold on him for a second year to do what he did, even with the weapons and, the, you know, Chubb and all those guys and the wide receivers he's got. And then, you know, hey, the Bengals were competitive until they lost their quarterback for the rest of the year. So we don't know what the Bengals will do. So who wins that division and who you think will make the playoffs out of that division? Well, I think you're not giving your, your Steelers enough hope. I think the Steelers might have a last run. But, you know, I really hope that Haskins ends up being the back of quarterback as well or Mason Rudolph, which that's just my personal opinion. Uh, let's see, but you know the the Steelers have a chance. Uh, I think the the Ravens uh, I think will win the division again. Um, I'll I'll say that it'll be the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Cleveland Browns battling for that next spot because although Cleveland on paper should win that division, it, you got to also still factor in that it is Cleveland, and that some Cleveland stuff is going to happen. So you know that kind of knocks maybe two wins out the place, maybe puts the Baltimore Ravens back right there. So. You know, that's the only reason I can't give Cleveland that because I think Cleveland might have some moments where they remember their remember the old Cleveland again. Yeah, I, 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 you got more faith in Pittsburgh than I do. I, I just don't see it. Um, any team that wants to keep Mason Rudolph as a backup, they, they, they're not. They're not. <laughs> something's not right uh, with this. And right, and I have a lot of respect. For Mike Tomlin, I, I I struggle with him and sometimes, but I do believe in him as a, a a great coach. But I don't know what they're doing with Mason Rudolph. You got Ben should have retired Mike five years ago. I've been saying it, and then you got Mason Rudolph, right? As your backup, come on, man. You just wasting yeah. year after year, and I'm with you with the kid from Washington. I hope he he works out. He had a really good game against Philly, um, and and He's Dobbs totally is a good, yeah. And then Dobbs can be really good. He's been around the organization to understand what's going on too, but they want to keep Mason Rudolph. Are you serious? Really? They don't want to. They don't want to give up on that second round pick they invested in, and that's what it is. Well, you know what? That's do you want to win? You want to win, or do you want to give up on the second? But listen, with that, I, 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 it's, it's sort of off a little bit, but 
I asked a friend of mine, an older a friend of mine, I said, you know, he's been married for 50 years. And I said, you know, what was your key? He said, you want to be happy or do you want to, you know, be right? So what do you want to be? You want to be happy or you, you know, and say, hey, we had this second round pick or you want to be right and say, you know what, this is not the guy we need to move forward from him. And that's where they are. Mason Rudolph is not even a backup quarterback in this league, let alone a starter. But that's what they're doing. So I, I, I don't, you know, like you said, you've got a little more optimism than I do when it comes to my Steelers um, than I do. Uh, I'll, give you, I'll give you the one reason for optimism. The one reason. You ready? Yep, I'm ready. That one reason for optimism? He's sitting right in your backfield right now, Najee Harris. They're not oh, going yeah. to let that guy go to waste. That'll change but, that but, offense. But you know what, though? They, the, the, the so-called the, the, Mike Patton understands it, but these pundits are like, okay, well, he didn't really look good and, you know, against um, so-and-so. And so. I mean, it's preseason, man. What do you think? They're going to give you vanilla, you're going to get vanilla, and that's what it is. And then, so I'm, I'm with you. I, I do think he's going to be a great running back uh, for them if they use him. But I have uh, questions with Ben and that offensive line. And not that we ain't even talk about the defense. We ain't even talk about the defense is bad. I think, um, you know, I think, with the whole. I think holes. Melvin Ingram's gonna help. I think Melvin Ingram's gonna def- definitely help in terms of uh, oh. giving a tag team partner for JJ Watt. Not for JJ Watt for Derek Watt. For De- right, right, but no, uh, TJ. Yeah, and then TJ, um, TJ. I'm getting yeah. all the watts mixed up. Goodness gracious. Right. I mean, <laughs> it's a watt, right? It's it's one of the watts in there. Um, the only the other thing is, you know, the the other side of the the um, linebacking um, that we'll see. We just they got to fill that hole. Right, right. We just picked but up you, um, young guys. What's the name from Jacksonville? Uh, we just got the kid, yeah. the guy from Jacksonville. Yeah. So we'll see. I, I don't know. All right. I don't but, know. Hey, keep, keep, keep an eye, though. Your young guy from Michigan is coming back this year, too. So don't forget that. Right, right. But keep in mind, I have a sneaker and a plastic TV, so I can shoot stuff at the TV when I'm mad. Keep that in mind too. So. <laughs> I, I throw sneakers at my TV when they're losing, and uh, and and turn my phone off. But Mike, before you go, uh, let people know how they can reach out and follow you. And I know you had mentioned something coming up. If you could w- want to mention that as well, you could do so, sir. Well, can't mention it just yet. But uh, I will say that you can find me on Twitter at MikePatton82. You can, of course, find me at the Nashville Voice. You can find me on the Tennessee Tribune. And pretty soon, a few other places. Also, you can catch my podcast at any listening platform, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever, uh, touring the AFC South. Mike does a great job, especially touring the AFC South. As a matter of fact, we'll get into that. Uh, uh, next time he's on. But Mike, as always, man, I appreciate you. you. You be safe, okay? Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Mike Patton, of course, uh, always good to have him on. Uh, we'll get to Tony T. Mac McLean uh, shortly on the Bachelor News radio show. Stay safe. <laughs>
Now, your favorite music apps are available on Contour. Go from watching a musical to listening to your favorite music. Enjoy a country western and then a country jam. Or go from action flicks to something that makes you feel like an action hero. Now with Contour from Cox. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome back to the show. We thank you for joining us. As always, it's the Bachelor News uh, radio show on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Uh, you can listen to the rebroadcast at the bachelornews.airtime.pro, the bachelornews.airtime.pro, and listen to the show on uh, WCOM in Chapel Hill and uh, Big Mind Entertainment, IBM TV, WKLM as well. I want to bring in my uh, close friend and editor-in-chief of uh, BASN uh, News. Of course, always good to have Tony T. Mac McLean on the line. T, I appreciate you, bro. Good morning. <laughs> well, then you must be in Japan somewhere. They're, they're saying, yeah, I'm still, I'm uh, still, I'm still, on, I'm still on Olympic time. <laughs> uh, well, listen, um, uh, I want to I want to boast on my Yankees. Um, hot summer, right? They've won what uh, the the August was great, and it's, we're still in August. But from what you've seen, I know that the starting pitching has been good, and they've been hitting the ball. I think Rizzo and 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 Gallo has been a difference, obviously, because it gives you some balance in the lineup. But what do you think has has been the difference with them? Um, catching not only Boston but Oakland for the uh, the wild card. Now, I don't think they catch Tampa, but but certainly catching Boston and and Oakland for the wild card position. Well, other than the Field of Dreams game, just uh, consistency more than anything else. They've been they've been inconsistent all year. On some days they get the hitting and don't get the pitching. Other days they get the pitching and don't get the hitting. But right now. Everything is everything is mixing well, and because of the nature of the season, there are always going to be stretches where you literally can't do anything, where you're stuck in your own mud. Everybody goes through mm. that. You just hope that it doesn't happen in the months where you know, like you know, August, September, because that's where um, playoff berths are lost and gained right now. So. In retrospect, getting getting uh, Rizzo and and Gallo, even if they're just rentals, is working uh, so far so good. You know, and 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 uh, I guess was it uh, Chapman is back now, so that gives them a little um, that that's going to take the load off of some of these other guys who they tried to put into the closer role, but they just you know they they, well, they, 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 they you know they they get. Uh... Uh, I can't think of his name. It um, won last night. Uh, of the name escapes me. But more importantly, you know, Cole comes back. He pitches well. Um, and you look at some of the moves they make. It, the danger for me, T, and you know this organization, the danger is you start running guys like Gallo and and and, and stuff like that. We don't want to go back to running guys to try to win because running guys worked way back when, when daddy was running it, but it, it hasn't really resonated in terms of championships 
um, in the modern Yankees, if you will, the, you know, the 2000s or whatever you want to call it. And that's my concern. I don't want to keep renting guys. I want, I want the farm. I want to, to do it that way. So that, wouldn't that be a concern, you know, whether it be the Mets or what? You're just renting guys. You have the big money. I mean, the Dodgers print money. And they could just bring in whoever. Do you seen that at the trade deadline? But that's a concern. I don't want to rent guys. I want I want to win with some origin pitchers and and players. I don't want to be renting guys to try to get into the wild card and then lose in one game or else that kind of thing. Well, they may you know who knows maybe they keep one of them. You know I I would think to see. You got to remember, they've got some key guys like Judge and others whose contract comes up. So, right, it, even even though they may appear to be rentals, they could be trying to audition. Now, of the two, probably of the two, I'm guessing Gallo may be the one that they may wind up keeping, because uh, unless they're gonna unless they're gonna cut bait on um on uh, Mr. Voigt. And it wouldn't surprise me because even as much as even as much as he's done, uh, he's been in and out of the lineup the last couple of years. So right, you know, it, yeah, and we got to see how it plays out because right now, now that they put themselves back into the mix, they're you know you know it's 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 there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, moving parts here, especially for that for that uh, wild card spot. And they, and they still, you know, let's be honest, they they still they still have an opportunity to still win the East. Yeah, I just it's don't not think that. Well, it's it's, it's not. But thing, Tampa is just so Tampa is just so well, solid. Well, well, they're they're really, really solid. To steal, to steal to steal an old page online, they're your daddies. In fact, they're your granddaddies at this point in time right now because they've beaten you in the regular season and in the postseason. So it's 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 right. sort of like with the Dodgers and the uh, Padres. The Padres have to prove that they can beat the Dodgers where they can do anything. But, see, now the Giants have sort of upset that because it's the Giants' division to win or lose right now. Yeah. And, I, you know, it's ironic that you would say that because I think as good as um, – and as bought as the Yankees and Dodgers are, I still think the two and uh, you know things could change obviously, but I still think Tampa and San Fran are been steady enough, um, uh, more so San Fran than Tampa, that they win the division. It's just a matter of what it is, and I, I just when I look at um, the American League, and you look at what the White Sox have done, if you had to pick the team to beat in the, in, in the American League, would it be the White Sox or would it be the Astros? Or, 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 or White Sox. White Sox? Clearly. Clearly. Okay. Clearly. Most balance. They have the, they have the balance. They, have the, they, you know, um, they can hit with anybody. Um, their, their starting staff – is you could make the argument that their starting staff is one or two in the league. Now, their Achilles heel, unfortunately, to me, is, is the guy running the show. But they, but, but to their credit, they have won in spite of him uh, mm. most of the year. But, um, 
but yeah, you know, look, we've 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 you know we've been heralding the White Sox for quite a while, and it's just and it's and, you know it took a while, but now they're finally, you know, you, you while with all due respect to the Giants, that team in baseball may be the might be the White Sox on, on a balance just on a balanced scale. I, I I look at their line their lineup to me puts a lot more fear than it does in the Giants. So now, again, I give the Giants their due because, you know, pitching and defense, it's, you know, they're, they're, they're like, you know, basically nine Mr. Fundamentals out there. But I just I look at what the White Sox have. I see the White Sox are relatively young. So right. they're going to be, you know, the, the core of their team is still relatively young. So barring injury, free agency, um, you know, ridiculousness. They're going to be in the mix for a while. Um, and she'll and like it too, by the way. So. What's that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the ladies, and she'll yeah, the like ladies, it too. Yeah, the ladies, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the ladies love it too. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> Big Hurt but, said that, right? The Big Hurt said oh, it. Yeah, she'll all, like it too. All, that's all. That's that's all. That's all he ever says. Between you know, on that guy, that guy, that guy smiles. He, that guy smiles more, more, more than a guy going to the bank every day. No, he smiles and he smiles and winks more than anybody, and she'll like it too. Yeah, well, I try to, I try to, I try to, I try to, I try to ignore the winking. But yeah, I mean, you know, they you look at, go ahead. Well, I was saying, to me, that the thing with them. They are the most balanced now. The Dodgers also not even with losing Bauer still have a very you know have a very have a very very good lineup as well. And they've got you know you know they're always look. The Dodgers are going to be in the mix because of the pitching and everything else. Uh, but and, and but, but think chance. about it the, with with the the NL. Listen, it everybody talks about the Brewers pitching staff. And that bullpen and that started the, that big three that they have, but mm-hmm. they can hit the damn ball. People don't talk oh, about they oh, can score yeah, a lot yeah, of and, runs. And and and, and Yelich is still sort of trying to find his way. You know, right. um, the last the last year and a half, he's you know between the injury and you know the whole because you know you know you have to take last year for what it is, but you know. There's still so much of last year that you know it, you literally have to be like, okay, um, how much of it do we is this a carryover and how much of this isn't? So right. now that we've now now that, I mean okay now we've been in you know it's, it's we're, we're basically three fourths through the season now, so there's certain things that are, you know pretty you know pretty much teams like the White Sox, Giants, uh, Tampa, you know Houston. They're absolutes. You know that buying an incredible September collapse, they're going to be in the mix. Um, right. A lot of these, you know, the the NL East is still up for grabs. It's looking like it's going to possibly be a three-team race. Um, the AL East is still, to me, up in the grab. I, mean, I know Tampa's got, you know, Tampa looks to be whatever, but right now it's just a matter of whether you're going to get two teams from that division. You know, right now I think that's the question which one of the divisions are you going to get multiple teams from? Do you do you get two teams from the ALEs, you think? Your gut feeling? Yeah, well, 
I don't know. Because Toronto is still right there too. Well, yeah, yeah. See, I just, I just don't trust their starters. So that's, that's. I mean, again, you know, there's a lot of teams where if it was just, if it was just off the lineup, Toronto would be in the mix, but they just don't have enough starting. I mean, Ryun is great, but after that, it's, it's really whatever. Um, Right. My the thing, the thing is. As much as they tease the hell out of you, you can't rule Oakland out yet either. Right. I know that they always, they do just enough to, you know, piss their fans off, but whatever. But they're still still in the mix. And see, at this point in time right now, with all the, the, what's going to decide a lot of these races, you know, of course, September, but someone's going to have to go on like a uh, maybe like a seven to 10 game winning streak to just solidify themselves. Cause you know, I, I use the NL East as a perfect example. You basically have had three different leaders in the last, you know, three, four weeks and all of them have had their little hot streak. You know, now the Braves are in the middle of a hot streak. So now they're on top, you know, the Phillies, people were ready to hand the division over to the Phillies two weeks ago, but they went back to being the Phillies. And, right, they you know, just the lost it to Diamondbacks bad. So yeah, you're right. And 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 you know the you know the Mets are going through their scoring a half a run uh, a game uh, syndrome now. So it's 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 anybody. So so if someone goes on a sustained run, then I think I think that division and and I don't think you're going to get multiple teams out of the East. I think you're only going to get one team out of the East. I I I truly think. Um, you know, I, I truly think the um, Dodgers, and I, I think it's almost, and maybe I'm being premature, but I think it's almost a foregone conclusion that the two teams that don't win the NL uh, West are going to play in the wild card game. Mm. We're talking with Tony T. Mac McLean on uh, the Bachelor News Radio Show. Speaking of Mets, uh, uh, T, you know, so the owner says, quote, it's hard to understand how professional hitters could be this unproductive. The best teams have a more disciplined approach to slugging and OPS numbers don't lie, end quote. You know, again, you and I are from Connecticut, and we we have different New York teams that we root for. And we always say it's different from outside of New York and inside of New York in terms of how fans look at things and how they profess and, and even the media. And listen, I don't, listen, he owns the team. Steve Cole owns, I don't, I don't have a problem with what he said. If if guys are producing, I mean, Steinbrenner Steinbrenner said the same thing, right? He said the same shit, excuse my French. So I don't, what is the big deal about what he said? What's the big deal? Well, my, my, I see the thing. You also have to remember, as you got to remember, they they fired their hitting coach two months into the season, and nothing's changed. So obviously, it wasn't uh, Chili Davis's fault that the team wasn't hitting. I didn't, you know, right. I, I was not. I was, you know, I was I was not happy with that move. But you know, again, I, I understand. But um, look, you know, they've had the you know they've had the injuries all year. A lot of teams have had them, and you know, they've had their share. Uh, and between you know COVID early on or what have you, but they it's it's, it's like Lloyd Bridges in air in uh, in uh, airplane picked the wrong week to stop sniffing start sniffing glue, you know, they, and, and it's 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 they picked the absolute worst time to have 
their hitting uh, to to lose their hitting prowess. Now now you know they 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 um they you know, they scored a couple of runs yesterday you know against the Giants, but now they got to go to L.A. for four games. And you know L.A. is fighting for their lives, and you know L.A. already they just they they they're still trying to you know scrape the dust off the uh, boot that the Dodgers gave them in in New York last weekend. So. It's not. Let's put it this way. As I, I told a buddy of mine, who you know, there's, there's, a, there's a couple other folks who basically, after the after the Dodgers series, they're done, they're done. I'm like, okay, four and a half games out with the rest of August and September to go, and you're and you're pulling up the white flag. Glad you're not the owner of the team. I mean, but it's, the, it's, the thing it's, is, it's, 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 if he has a he has a right to say, hey, the team is stinking up the joint. What's the problem? What what he said oh, no, is I my point. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't. You know, put it this way. You know, the 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 the, the for lack of a better word, you know, the shit disturbing media always is going to play it off because, you know, you know, these are the same guys that were calling him Uncle, uh, you know, Uncle Steve when he was out there signing guys and bringing in or whatever. Now, now all of a sudden. They're trying to make it out like he's a, a Steinbrenner clone. And no, he's – look, he said out loud what a lot of Met fans have been saying in closed doors. But, T, let me it's, tell you what I heard on the, the, these idiots. They compared him – and social media, I get it. Social media is different in this day and time. But they compared him, T, to Marge Schott saying something, and you know how racist she was and drunk or whatever she was. They well, compared well, him well, saying stuff like that now well, at a point where owners say shit all the time. Like, what is the big well, deal? Well, 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 the big difference is Mark Schott's got more facial hair than him, first of all. Let's just let's get that <laughs> off the way. Um, and, you know, no, no disrespect, but... I don't remember Steve's call. I don't remember him calling his players million dollar niggas. Right. Maybe I missed something in, in translation there or what have you. But all that being said, I mean, look, I did not, you know, look, like I said, he sees you saying out loud what a lot of people are saying. Um, Thank you. It is, it is, it is, again, if you watch this team every night like I do, I, I, I've been thinking the same thing because the, Again, on paper, you know, this was supposed to be, I mean, I'm not saying it was supposed to be the 27 Yankees, but I didn't expect their offense to look like the the, the, the 1979 Mets either, right. one of the worst teams in all of baseball. But that being said, uh, you know, remember, Lindor is out still. Uh, Diaz is out. Uh, Thank you. DeGrom. DeGrom is, DeGrom is probably out for the rest of the season. They don't want to stay. I think, you know, I think they need to just come to grips with that. So, 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 in a sense, to see everyone's still sort of waiting for him to pull a Willis Reed. I don't think it's going to happen. As much as I would like to see him come back, it wouldn't bother me a bit if he didn't come back this year because you got to look at it long term. And, and, you know, look, I've already said the guy's fragile. I don't know. It- you is know, he hurt he's a, he's more great, than they're saying? Great, is he hurt more? Great, is he hurt more great, than they're saying? I well, look. With a, see, a lot of it now, I think, is almost more mental than physical. Mm. That's me. That's just me personally saying. You know, I I think 
because there's been instances where they babied him themselves, but the last couple of times, at least a couple of times more this year, he took himself out of games where he was where he had a little twinge and, 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 and what have you. And look, I never try to question the guys, you know, we you know you know, you know, we all remember what how how they how they tried to how they uh slandered J. R. Richards, got you know, um, you know, God rest his soul. Right. And right. I never try to say that anybody is jaking it or whatever. I just think there is there some physical stuff going on? Absolutely. But I think a lot of it is also mental because I think in his mind he feels like he has to carry the team. And right. that was the whole reason why they went out and got Carrasco and all these other guys. Now Carrasco's, you know, needless to say, has been a has been a disappointment because he's been, you know, I, I'm about I'm about to I'm about one more start away from calling him from a Christmas tree because they keep lighting him up every time he comes out there. Mm. So, mm. And and remember, he was you know, in many ways he was more of a key in that trade than uh, Lindor was because he was supposed to in a sense help take some of the pressure off of what I mean. You know, say what you want, and I know that they both have struggled in the second half, but they would be way out of it if it wasn't for Taiwan Walker and uh, Strowman. And, and let me ask you this, because uh, Larry uh, in the chat room said that, do you think the Grom uh, can't handle the uh, New York media? Uh, so no. I guess he's speaking well, maybe that's the pressure, maybe too much pressure on him. Okay, no. okay. Not a, not a factor. I, you know, um, Let's put it this way. Especially if you're saying mental, then it you know is well, it mental he way. can't handle. He's this his way. He's not. Uh, oh, I, I can see him now. Um, he's not Josh Grinky. Let's put it that way. He's not Josh right. Grinky. But but I think the pressure that he he puts a lot of pressure on himself. You know he he wants to you know he's very in touch with who he is. He wants to be the best pitcher in baseball. And 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 he has shown. Look, at times over the last three four years, he has been the best pitcher in baseball, no doubt. Now, and you know, winning the two sides, but even with that, having to deal with that whole thing of you know, okay, here's your you know, here's your sign or here's your one run for tonight. Go get them, Jake. You know that gets that gets you know. I think that gets I think that gets to him more than he's willing to admit. Because he's had to deal with that a lot over the and and plus the fact he's the guy you know he clearly is there you know he clearly is the meal ticket and if it was something where he couldn't handle it I think he would have been out of town a long time ago uh, he's already won two sides he's already been to a World Series so no I you know it's it's I I, I don't think in that instance he. He can't deal with New York. He he can deal with New York. I think now his you know I just hope for his sake that his body isn't breaking down. But see, again, I grew up in the era where guys pitch through whatever. Well, see, that's, that's what I was going to say. One of the, that's what one I was going to say. Reasons, you know, the, 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 if, if his body's breaking down, T, it's on the Mets. Because if they baby in him and now his body's breaking down, then that's on them. The organization should not let them pitch. Like you said, I grew up the same thing. Let them pitch. Stop babying these pitchers. Let them pitch. 
Yeah, see, see this. Look, we, you know, all you got to do is look on the. All you have to do is look on the patch on your uh, right hand, on your left hand side, and realize uh, who the who set the standard for not just the franchise but for pitching um, over the years. And as great as he has been, as great as he hopefully still can be, you know, Seaver, you know. We took for granted that Seaver and Gibson and all those guys are going to pitch every fourth, fifth day. No questions asked. And, oh, by the way, they went nine innings, you know. And very rarely did they have the arm trouble. Now, you know, a quality start is seven innings. And I'm like, that's not a quality start. A quality start is, to me, you know, the whole thing with guys like him was he, he was going to get you out just as good for that first at bat as he was the fourth at bat. The 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 bad part about how everything's all about the bullpen now has hurt has in in many ways has hurt baseball. Uh, you know, I, I'll you know as 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 mean as it may sound, but it's the truth. Kevin Cash screwed his team out of a World Series because of analytics. You cannot right. take that away from them. That's one of the reasons why it's hard for me to embrace him, them as a franchise, because I know they're going to, at, at some point, they're going to get caught up more in the analytics than about what makes damn sense. And, and you know, to speak, speak, speaking on, you know, handling pressure, you think, you, you, uh, you, you think, um, oh, God, why can't I think of his name? You think the, the guy who he took out in game six, you think that still doesn't affect him even in San Diego right now? Yeah. And you you think about it, uh, it that's why it's been such a um a uh, a point of inference on on these these middle and closers in terms of relief that I mean, I'm watching the Yankees last night, you got this so-called phenom. I'm still waiting to see. I mean, he hadn't given up a lot of innings. Uh, scoreless innings, but he's only pitched 15, and they're talking about oh, 15 scoreless innings. Yeah, but he's pitching four innings a game. Like, so what is that? I mean, I'm yeah. I'm hoping for the best for this kid, but if he's pitching four and two thirds, uh, T, I mean, come on, that's not what what happened. We pitching four and two thirds now. We phenoms. I mean, you, you, I know, mean, you have to you, really. You have to pick five innings to get to at least get credit for a win. Am I correct? Right, right. I mean, if you can't, and if that's you can't the thing. Me, he is, he had his gotta win. If you can't give me five, you know, you can't. You know, I just assume you know get somebody else in there. Yeah, and, and that's been, and that's been the problem. And see, now with it, and see with all of these. Seven inning double headers and, and all the way. You see, again, I get it. We're in a specialization era, but you can almost specialization your way out of a out of a championship. And uh, it's funny you said that because Carl just chatted and said, "What do you think of this double header seventh inning thing? Does it hurt or help baseball?" Now, with that being said, with that being said, Yankee sweep. 
uh, Boston last night. I mean, they squeezed the series, but last night they went two days ago. They went right two seven. I'm not a fan of that. T. I'm not. I know what they they set it up for COVID, so the fans won't be there, all that. But now I just that. And when are you gonna go you know back? What? I mean, put it, put it, I just I'm not a fan way. of it. Put it this way: if you're gonna do the seven innings, um, give me the DH. If I if I'm the player associate if I if I'm Tony Clark I'm saying we'll keep the seven innings give us the DH give us the universal DH. But even if they're doing it because if they're doing it for safety reasons, then do the whole game one game, and then the second game if it goes an extra, day, then kill it there or something. I but just we, don't I, like the two seven innings thing. I don't like that at all. I don't. I don't. Well, well see, it's been the minor leagues have been doing it for years. So it, you know, I don't have a problem with the seven. I have more of a problem with putting the runner on an extra inning. Play the damn game out. You know, the, the one minute you're talking about, you know, baseball's timeless and all this other stuff, and then you're giving me a, 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 a runner to begin the inning so you can get the game over with. Can't have it both ways. And I, I would even want to see. See, I would want to see if you're gonna go to if you're gonna go to extra innings, then I would like them to go back to the the starting lineup. I want to see the top five guys in the lineup back up there. I want to see the the pitch hitters and the, the number nine and eight hitters. I want to see the top hitters. I don't care who team it is. I'd rather see. The best, the, the, your pitcher against that best. If you're going to go extra innings, I just don't like it. If you're doing it for safety reasons, I get it. So go full no, nine no, on the first please. game, and then the second game, then do seven or whatever. But don't do two sevens. That don't work for me. I don't like that at all. I, like I, I said, think you're cheating like said, the fans. Like I said, I have less of a problem with that than I do the, 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 the designated runner. Because my, and, and again, if you're gonna do the if you if if this is all about safety, then give me a universal DH. That's all. And oh by the way, allow 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 uh, Mad Bum's uh, no hitter to count as an as an official no hitter if that's the case too. Right now that you now you're talking to like I mean, if a guy goes scoreless for six, and the game ends on seven or whatever it is. Then that's a no hitter. Yeah, right. I agree with that. There's just so see, there's just so many contradictions. And like you said, last year, you know, everything, you know, you'd always fall back on well, COVID, COVID, COVID. Okay, you play, you know, you play the, you play basically three fourths of a full season now with fans. Everybody's got their fans back now. So now, well, see, here's the thing. It it could all be moot. Because you know the the the, uh, the the CBA comes up at the end of the year, and they may and right. they and they may lock and then we may have another lockout. It's you know it's funny that um, they're already making plans for 2022. You know they released the uh, they released both the um, spring training and regular season schedule. They've already said that it's going to be the uh, Cubs and I think it's the Cubs and the Reds are going to play in the uh, Field of Dreams right. game next year. Right. Are we going to have a season? And and COVID probably won't have much to do with this. It may have to do with Cassie. I'm sure that the players are saying, "Look, we don't mind the seven, but we need to have a universal DH." Or or either. But, you know. 
but to follow up on what Carl said and to your point, T, I, you know, and this is not just baseball. This is sports in general. The the players have to sign off on this. So as much as I love Tony Clark, I mean, the players have to sign off on this. They can oh, sure. negotiate. Oh, yeah. They didn't say, they didn't have to say, hey, we want to play doubleheader seven innings. They could have not signed off on that, but they did. So, you know, the owners are going to do what they do for whatever the reasons, usually money. The players got to say yeah, yay or nay on this thing. And so oh. baseball, they need to go back to, I just, you know, I'm not feeling the, any of this. They need to go back. If you want to say, okay, COVID is gone, like you said, then this seven anything, I don't give it's Boston against the Yankees. That thing is just ugly, man. I just don't like it. I just think it just yeah. shortens. It just looks. It's just not a good feel. You watching the game and seven anything, oh, and everybody getting excited and the game is over. Oh, it's, and then yeah, you do it, it again. It's it's, it's it's different. It it is different because you know when the you know usually when the fourth or fifth inning comes around, say so, okay, we still got a little bit of time. Now fourth and fifth inning is, is you know you got to do something and 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 it changes right. the way it changes the way the game is managed it 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 it, it, it change, you know you know when you take those two extra innings off not so much extra and, and the when thing you take is those two the, innings the, away it changes the way the game is played and the funny thing about uh, last night is I forgot like I because I've been watching games but not the doubleheader stuff that I forgot about it. So Bob Costas of all people who I don't want to listen to has said the Red Sox have three innings, three more uh, outs to get. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, it's only the uh, then I'm thinking, oh well, damn, it's a six inning. Okay. They only got more. They only got three outs left. And I'm like, God, that just kind of killed it for me. It's anticlimactic for me. When you look at it, I don't care who's playing, and Costas of all people, I wanted to mute, um, and and should well, have. Well, 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 uh, well, shame, well, shame, well, shame on you for listening. Shame on you for listening. Hey, exactly, exactly. That that's the problem. I hope that they, you know, with everything just kind of goes back to normal. I'm with you with the DH thing. I, I I'm really uh, with you on that, but I just hope that. Well, baseball knows what it is. I just think they're cheating teams out of uh, the ability to come back later in it, that ninth inning well, home run. Well, it's you interesting. Know. It's interesting because, you know, you know, a week ago tonight, you know, the Field of Dreams game, that was the highest rated uh, nationally televised game since 2005. And that, that should tell you a lot about where baseball is going or has, has, has gone. Now, if you give the fans something decent, and, you know, there's, there was yay and nay on others. You know, some people thought it was too hokey and, and what have you. You know, look, I, I thought for the most part they did it, you know, we're very quick to jump on baseball when they do something wrong. But Thursday night they did something right. And, and, and yeah, they should agree. And, you know, should, yeah, yeah, and, and you should give them credit for that. But – Again, it also does remind you that when baseball really wants to get this right, they can get it right. So I hope that this off season, you know, they get it right. I mean, you know, I mean, you know, by all, I think most important thing, get the CBA done more, more, more right. than anything. But, right. but, 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 but the players need to sort of, you know, put their, up, you know, man. Need to sort of put their foot, foot to the boots and say, okay, we, you know, we're not going to, you know, here's what we will do. And of course, look, you know how it's going to, you know, the owners are going to have 
The owners are going to play this out in the media. They're going to always say, well, we tried to do this, but the players wanted And even, even, even like right. last year when they came back, they, you know, the play, you know, they tried to play it out. Well, we wanted to have a hundred and something games with the players. Well, you know, but that's the, see, that's been going on for years. But see, the players right. now have got to be like, okay, to help you. Look, they're going, they're going to think bad about us anyway. So let's get what we want. We might as well just go ahead and get what we want and go for broke. And I, and I think, uh, like I said, to you, you're right. Uh, give them credit when they do, and give them blame when they do. I thought, and you and I talked about this. I thought baseball got it better than anybody with the bubble thing last year. Yeah, the they, got right. they got it right. They got it right. And but I think, like I said, I don't know why they would. I just think, like I'm not beleaguer. I'm gonna go to something else. But I just thought that. How do you sign off on two seven in the games? I, I just don't. I think you're cheating. You're not only the, the the you know concession and everything. I just think like seven is just it, you're doing your seven inning stretch and all that tradition. But you know how many games all these teams that come back in the eighth and ninth inning, and you're cheating your fans when you cut it at seven in a sure. doubleheader. You know, you're not helping the teams either for teams that, you know, whatever. I mean, it's just, you know, now, now one could say, well, you just have to come back sooner. But, yeah, that's, 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 that's all well and good. But if you're playing, you know, last I checked, baseball's usually nine innings. Now, like I said, now, and again, not to, you know, go back and forth, the minor leagues have been doing seven-inning doubleheaders for years. You know, that, that's, that's been true. going on that's forever. That's true. So, so yep. in that instance, it's not anything out of the realm. But because because there was such a staggered start, and even coming back into this year, there was because see, remember, uh, they didn't decide until late that the the, the universal DH uh, was gone, and they weren't going to go with the uh, extra playoffs like they did last year. So it's it's again, you know, but again, see, a lot of it, I think, baseball has to look at themselves too because. You know, you had a little bit of a kick upwards, I think, you know, with the way the postseason played out last year. And in a sense, right. they took a step back. Right. Even with, the, and, even, with and fans, you, even with fans coming back to the game and a sense of normalcy, they still took a step back because they were still, I mean, we're it, for all intents and purposes, we are still under um, COVID. Um, we're always still under COVID thing. They remember with this variant, it, you never know what 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 could what could it wind changed. up happening. So, That's true. But yeah, yeah. I mean, but you, you just it, I, I guess with uh, the you know uh, again like like you said not to go back and forth, but you know every sport every sport T, in that fourth quarter uh, in the football game or the basketball game or the hockey the third period in the hockey. Somebody comes back and wins. The Colorado Rockies got a bunch of wins to come back late in extra inning or in the ninth. Of all, and they wanted to, they wanted the least teams that will make the playoffs. They wanted the worst teams in the league. They got a lot of comeback wins. So if you have the, that option, it excites the fans. If you're home and you you win that game that's that's all i'm saying is that it, it, well, yeah, well, all the well, things well see with colorado they can't do it outside of colorado <laughs> yeah that's true too but they but they're doing it at home which excites the fans and it keeps it you know it's that kind of thing but 
But I, I mean, to, just to the point is that, that, like I said, baseball got it right last year. And certain things, and and I hope they bring back some of the, their traditions, not the the long. The, you know, the, uh, you know, the only ones, the only you know, and it's, and I know there's going folks who's going to say because I'm a Met fan, I'd like to see a university. I've been trying <laughs> to see a universal D. No, I, I've been trying to see a universal. I think we need a universal DH. I mean, I'm. I mean, I know. I, I'm. I, I'm. I'm with you. I know. I know. I, look, look, I know. I know. Degrom. I know. At sometimes, Degrom can be the Mets' best hitter. Use it like this. If you've got a guy, if you've got an Otani, or you've got a Degrom who can hold himself. Because see, here's the thing: what people forget, the DH is is. It's optional. You don't have to use the DH. It's it's it was always suggested. If because we've seen instances where pitchers had you know Rick Roden batted you know was used as a DH uh, for with the with the Yankees, and when Otani pitches, he hits and pitches. So he's basically the you know he he he's he's his own DH in a sense. So if you've got a guy that can hit, let him hit. But if you don't. Use the DH, I, you know. Just you know, and if, 